Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai, and welcome to episode 36 of Little Things for Bonsai People, the podcast. Uh, and this time, I am joined by my co-host, Mike Lane of Kitsune Bonsai. How's it going, Mike? Ah, hey, guys. How's it going? Happy Fourth of July. Oh, yeah. Uh, this episode will be released on the, the 5th of July. But yeah, happy 4th of July for you uh, international listeners out there. That is uh, our country's Independence Day. So it's great. Yeah. It's be lots of <laughs> lots of fireworks, lots of loud noises. I'm going to be trying to sleep. I know, me too. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm tired. It's been hot, hot. But yeah. Uh, but before I get into it, I would like to let everyone know. Oh, but I have to say the topic of the episode first. Topic episode. Uh, since we got Mike back, uh, unfortunately, we don't have Carmen. We can't coordinate it. We can't get both of our amazing co-hosts at the same time. But we're going to do what we can. We got Mike here to talk about sea hibiscus today. It's like it's like Jeopardy. Like one day you're going to get Ken <laughs> Jennings and one day you get, what's her name, Maya? Yeah. I don't I don't watch it a whole lot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to offend anybody out there that's really into game shows. I know there's a lot oh, of people right. out there. Right. It's like a whole cult following of game shows nowadays. Um, I'm just old. Nah, <laughs> you're not that old. No, uh, but I'm Jeopardy old. <laughs> But yeah, Mike's gonna uh, talk to us about sea hibiscus. This uh, this episode was requested by one of our bonsai best bud. Um, can't remember which one, but somebody requested it and wanted to hear a whole readout on how they work, why are they good for bonsai, give a general overview of sea hibiscus, uh, kind of like what we did with tiger bark a little while back. Um, I would also really like to do one for bald cypress. I know I've done some stuff in the past for bald cypress. But I did see a conversation pop up in the Discord about pond cypress versus bald cypress, and I'm itching to answer that, that question on that conversation. Uh, but but yeah, before we get into it, though, I need to m- mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons, which we call our bonsai best buds. And uh, we have a Discord, and all these great people are in the Discord. If you want to be one of those people, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people, become a bonsai best bud. Every little thing helps the show grow. Come hang out, be part of the community. We all have a great time talking, chatting about bonsai. Uh, our list goes as follows. Torres Elise, Warehouse Rat, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, uh, Ryan, Jordano, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard, Bones, Bonsai Australia, The Ladies of Flower Market, Taylor Peacock, Chase Pertweet, Vicky Auth, Austin Atkins, and Karen Codswell. Thank you guys for being Bonsai Best Buds. Can't wait to talk to you in the Discord. I know I uh, presented on the last episode, we said we're doing the cutting challenge. Uh, Mike, you weren't aware of this. Um, We're doing a challenge where we're taking cuttings of species that we're really interested in working with. And we're doing 10 of them, 15 if we feel like it, 20 if if we want to be awesome. And we're sticking them, we're getting roots in them this year, and we're twisting them hard. We're going to start some really cool trees and we're going to share the results as we move on. That's why people are asking about uh, CI Biscuits in the chat for, for the Patreon. Yeah, I was going to meet for Discord. Mm-hmm. That's uh, exactly how I've been building trees in uh, the last few years. I've been basically, I don't know, it, it's been very rewarding. Like it's almost been like a farmer. So I, I, I grow like a crop of sea hibiscus. I grow a crop of bluebells and I grow a crop of like tiger bark and a few other things. And I do just what you said. I, I wire up some and I'll twist them up. And then I start doing clip and grow with others, starting to build taper and making like cool, uh, like sumo style trees. And um, I usually 
get somewhere looking like a bonsai after about a year, you know, of up potting those trees. And I will usually keep about five of those for myself and get rid of the rest, sell them or trade them to, uh, you know, Weigerts. And then, um, I pare it down to, to the best two and I keep those. And what I'm getting at is that each year, the best two that end up in my garden are better than the year before. So I, I'm always learning something from each crop I do. <clears throat> and so, you know, it almost like in a way devalues the previous work because I, I always anticipate getting something better. And so I've gotten over that feeling of like, Oh, I'm in love with my work. I have to, I have to hold on to this forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it's made it easier to sell things. So I've, it's been overall just doing it that way has been extremely rewarding. Yeah. And that's what I want our listeners and best buds to experience is that, is that experience of building trees from the absolute, absolute beginnings, ground fundamentals, and kind of guide their hands go through at, well, virtually i guess you can say listening as much as you can get from from a podcast but um and so i'm just hoping to further you know the encouragement of those techniques and uh just show off results and so uh i don't really need to ask you mike to go and take cuttings and start this challenge uh because you've already done dozens upon dozens of trees like this before so people could always go to your Instagram, which uh, which would be Ketsune Bonsai, um, and go over there and check out Mike's work. Uh, if you guys want some inspiration for the, the cutting challenge, that's that's one place to start. Um, and some of your stuff recently on there is way past the cutting stage now, but you have to scroll pretty far down to see some of the earlier stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm also, I'm always starting new ones. Like I just potted up some that are just a year old and, uh, they're little red stems that not even a year old. I shouldn't even say a year old. They're maybe like eight months old. And um, they're like nice little shohin already. You know, they don't have branching, but I was looking at some of the trees that are uh, imported and whatnot. And a lot of times, honestly, especially with the smaller material, it's usually like mames. It's a trunk that has like one or two twists. And then they just like build the branches around that. And that's one quick way. I call that quick interest. So I've, I, like I was saying before, I have two ways of building trees. I have trees that are quick interest and I rely on movement. So movement can be placed into the cutting very quickly. And, um, but in a way I, I feel that it's almost cheap interest. It's easy interest. And so as much as I like it, I do still think it takes more time, um, to like chop and heal, chop and heal and like build a tree, you know, bone by bone uh, with taper. So I do think that uh, that's the more, I don't want to say it's better, but I, I think that there's definitely more work involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we'll get into uh, on building trees and, and also utilizing sea hibiscus as well for those techniques. Um, but before we get too far with that, we will go ahead and get into some of our listener comments and questions from our, uh, our patrons and our, our discord and just kind of cover a few things. Um, so just wanted to say backyard bonsai Australia, uh, has, has mentioned in the past that he would like to hear, uh, more from you, uh, love to see you back on. So you're back on Mike. So that's, uh, that's part of the dream is, has come true. But also uh, with 
uh, he mentioned Jerry um, Mielinski. Oh, Mislik. Yeah. Mislik, yeah. So, uh, so Jerry, yeah, I messaged him as well. And Jerry is, um, I'm going to reach out to him. I got to reach out to Jerry and, and find out for sure. But um, Jerry sold all his trees to Weigerts, you know, um, and Ooh. as far as I know, is is basically retired from bonsai. So, um, you know, I'm sure he he's probably still more than happy to come on and uh, and talk with us. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, uh, that that was something that I just wanted to make him aware of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll check in with Jerry and see if he wants to talk to us. Uh, a couple of young chaps on here, you know, talking about bone sign what we think i think that would be a fun time it's always uh fun to talk to the the other generation it's a pity to hear that uh that he sold all of his trees i, I remember seeing a lot of his trees listed on Weigert's. uh now she mentioned it um, you know but when you really think of this is like bonsai is uh, like a hamster wheel like here this is what i always teach students is you're we're only curators so you you have the tree for a while and you're going to get to a point where you don't want to take care of all those trees anymore you mm-hmm. know i mean as cool as they are as much as you love them it's just going to get to the point i assume that you're just like you know what i can't keep doing this like fight you know you're always fighting the uh the um Perpetual variables emotion. that are coming into the garden yeah, yeah. everything's always trying to like just eat your work away and you have to stay ahead of it and it gets tiring you know yeah sometimes uh like you said with the hamster wheel sometimes you just have to get off you just gotta jump off when you can <laughs> everything's looking good trees are growing good i'm out yeah it's spitting it looks like it's yeah. gonna hold up and then you yeah. throw somebody else on the wheel and say here you keep it you uh-huh. keep going you take this it's your else. turn to run for for 50 <laughs> years yeah <laughs> um and then there was also a mention of I uh, ac- accidentally stumbled upon saying uh, "How you going?" which is actually a greeting in in Australia. I did not know that. And apparently, it, it turns out okay that I'm using that, so I have approval to keep using "How you going?" Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, and there was another question from uh, Taylor Peacock. He wants to know: Is there a limit to the thickness of a branch when taking an air layer? What's the biggest you've had a success with or seen success with i do have i have my own story but go ahead not i mean i'm I'm sure there is a limit but i mean within the realm of what you'll be using for bonsai no i would say like i mean you uh, could you could do things yeah i mean you could basically air layer uh something that's like my waist thick and uh you can, I mean, you can take cuttings that are that big. You know, we've taken Bougainvillea cuttings. Uh, well, Eric oh, has. Oh, God, yeah. Has Bougainvillea, taken Bougainvillea is cuttings that are, you know, way thicker than my trunk. And so, it, yeah, I think that there's not really a size limit on certain species. Um, you know, some species are just not going to air layer at all, regardless. But, uh, for the most part, really aggressive things, sea hibiscus, most ficus, um, some maples, you really, it, it, it should mm-hmm. be pretty, pretty prolific. And that kind of brings me back to some of the air layer conversation I've had in the past with, uh, with Carmen, and this is coming up a few times. Um, is it worth taking a air layer on a piece when it gets to a certain size? And I, I think there is a limit unless that, Unless the part that you're trying to air layer, air layer off of there, if it's got a bigger than average trunk uh, for something that you'd be comfortable with and you 
and you're willing to try to apply the proper air layer techniques, if it's special, if it's, it's got special. like, it's got to be special. It's got to have bends, twists, right? Uh, some point of heavy interest, something that, or maybe the tree has some merit to it. Maybe it's an uh, old Mochikome yeah. dripping bonsai that needs an air layer. Yeah, don't air layer to air layer and don't, um, don't air layer straight stuff. Don't, uh, and even big stuff, you know, big stuff doesn't necessarily save you anything. Big, big stuff usually means there's a big wound somewhere on the tree. And, uh, you know, it's just usually going to have uh, other issues. So usually I will do big air layers. Big The times I will do big air layers are for mature, refined trees that could benefit from having better roots, maybe higher up on the trunk. And um, that's usually when I'll, I'll do big air layers. But usually the biggest I'll go that I find usable is probably about three four inches wide and that's about mm. as wide as i'll go yeah and that's that's on a lot of tropical species too you can get away with that kind of stuff pretty yeah easily. i still i still don't do honestly i do more cuttings than anything i just think you have more oversight over the uh over the tree as a whole and like i said I'll, i i reserve air layers for corrective techniques more often than not rather than propagation yeah um and i'm sure uh, one of our other bonsai best buds and uh, and local homies, uh, Joel Jenkins, wouldn't mind me bringing this up. A story about his one of his cuttings, I mean, not, not cuttings, but air layer that he took off of a uh, Acer rubrum, his big red maple in his yard. Or I don't know if it was in his yard exactly. I don't know the exact story on this tree, but I know it was accessible to him. And he ended up taking an air layer off of a piece that was somewhere around 10 inches mm-hmm. on, on a red maple, which is... I mean, that's that it was really awesome that it took. And I've heard of other people doing this with red maples, Chinese elms, uh, trident maples, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, it does come up to the point where you said, like, it's a straight section of a trunk. So it's almost like a log, um, log. of a tree. Mm-hmm. And and I was looking it over with him one time at a at the Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana Bonsai Society. And I'm just like, he's like, what do I do with this? And I'm like, well, but uh, you got, <laughs> got roots on it and it's got plenty of branching but i mean with that particular species too and this is one thing that you have to keep in mind for our, our listeners that are taking uh uh what, what what's the word for it when you're just making a bold move when you're basically if you're boldly taking a, a large straight cutting like that know the species cuz one of those one of those things to be said about acerubrum is that it's a soft bark uh short-lived tree and so it can rot through especially when you're taking a huge chunk that's not a root base you're getting off of that. That's a giant wound well, mm-hmm. at the bottom with roots around it. So you're going to either have to grow the hell out of that thing real fast and let the roots run real, real mm-hmm. long and like into a into like a pancake or to get the cambium build up to get back into the middle and close that little section up on the bottom or it's just going to rot through. So, I mean, it, it's it's what's it's what's worth it to you taking an air layer. Sometimes like, like Mike is saying, like sometimes it's just better to take a cutting and just start, yeah, there's, start from the beginning. One of my favorite sayings of all time is some juice isn't worth the squeeze. Yep. I've heard and, you say that dozens of times. <laughs> yeah. Some juice isn't worth the squeeze. And you know, the tough pill to swallow um, is that straight stuff is not impressive. Like size alone is not impressive. So having a big tree, could mean that you just have a big mediocre tree. And so that's one of the reasons why I decided to get into Shohin earlier on wasn't because I necessarily loved small trees. It was that through Eric's teachings, 
I kind of learned that what I could afford, if I were to hone it and concentrate quality down into the most condensed tree I could buy, then I could buy six inches of quality. That's what I could afford. And Hmm. so to buy, you know, 24 inches of quality is going to be very expensive and it's going to take a lot of time to make that. And so a straight section isn't enough. You know, a big chunky tree isn't enough. It's got to have the proportions and that's not to discourage anybody, but rather it's to kind of point you in the right direction and know that we still have a lot of work to do. Okay. So, so, um, but yeah, and then reference to taking cuttings and stuff, uh, went back, looked on the discord, had a lot of people asking about, um, trees that they've been looking around at. And there's one, uh, someone has a sea hibiscus just growing like into an actual tree in their yard. Yeah. It looks like, uh, that's a nice sea hibiscus. I would definitely take some cuttings. And if, if you're up to the challenge, I can't tell exactly how big it was in the picture, but it looks diggable. Um, meaning that looks like something that you could pull out and uh, work on. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but honestly, like I was saying before is you'll probably get over the course of three years, you will probably end up with higher quality trees from the cuttings you take. Yeah. In reference to, uh, the listeners that can't see what we're talking about, it's this, this hibiscus, it looks like from the size of the leaf that I'm aware of how big they get, they kind of get like saucer size like little mm-hmm. like tea saucer like something you would do like your uh your little fancy tea off of uh like the size of the palm of your like your fingers all the way around your hand uh um, yes as big as your face uh <laughs> and so the leaves are big on this tree and the trunk i'm assuming looks like it's somewhere around eight to ten inches in diameter if if i'm correct on that it could That's be what it looks like yeah yeah the upper parts of the tree, but it's definitely a sea hibiscus. You see the dark, nice dark green leaves and the the, yeah. uh, the highlighted red reddish leaves. And then I see a, a a variegated sea hibiscus on here. Yeah, there's another one in the chat. That this one though, um, ooh, it's pretty big, but I'd still I'd still go for it. Okay, so that yeah. leads us straight into sea hibiscus and our conversation about sea hibiscus. And there's obviously a lot of things to be said about quality of leaf, internode mm-hmm. spacing, quality of trunk growth rates uh variegated ones versus red red stemmed ones versus regular greens versus what else is out there cork bark ones so kind of ease us into this and then i'll see what i can uh tease out of you <laughs> for sea yeah. hibiscus um sea hibiscus is kind of a quirky species uh it's something that i've really honestly dedicated probably 15 years of study to this species trying to a learn it and uh, B, to promote it as material. is It's extremely popular in Southeast Asia and in tropical bonsai everywhere else in the world, and is just now starting to gain popularity in the U.S. And um, I consider it one of the three, three or four, like top tropical kind of hierarchy species, kind of like how you have the black pine, Japanese maple, azalea, so on and so forth. I, there is, there are certain trees that no matter where you go in the tropics, people will be growing that material and sea hibiscus is one of those trees. So wherever you go in the world, the tropical climate, you're going to find sea hibiscus. So it's really, really a versatile material. Um, one of the things I made a lot of mistakes early on was I would go to Weigert's and I would buy like a $25 tree 
and I would kind of make a trunk chop and I would start growing the tree and I would look at the tree and I would compare it to uh, Min Swan Lo. He's a famous Taiwanese artist. I'd compare it to some of his famous sea hibiscus. And I'd look at him and I'd see, okay, well, his book says that in six years, my sea hibiscus will look like this. Um, well, I waited six years and my sea hibiscus didn't look like that. So I said, okay, well, maybe I need to wire it a lot. Maybe I need to do this, do that. Maybe I'm working with the wrong species. So I kept pursuing different species, different or not different species, different varieties. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I finally found was I had to rethink everything. I had to rethink my, my methodology of growing them. So now I really do grow most of my sea hibiscus under a semi-clip-and-grow method, meaning I, I run branches out, I cut them back hard like really, really, really hard to like little one or two internode stubs. And that's the only way I've made interesting material out of these trees. So um, on top of that, you know, it did help to find better varieties. As Evan mentioned, like other trees, like Japanese maples, there are ones that are going to lend themselves to it. And there are ones that are going to make it very, uh, very difficult in your pursuit of a fine bonsai. It doesn't mean that they won't all be good. And so like any of those sea hibiscus that are in the discord will make great trees, but how much effort are you going to put in to get to that same tree? You know, uh, a popular one right now, the most popular sea hibiscus is known as red stem. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of a misnomer because a lot of them have red stems, but this specific one buds back way more than, than most of the others. Uh, it has a way a leaf that gets way smaller, way easier, and it hmm. seems to get denser faster. And so with no, no sacrifice of the speed at which it grows. And so it, it's, it's a superior variety for bonsai. It makes your life easier. Now I've grown great ones with the typical greens. I've grown great ones with the native Florida reds. Um, I've grown uh, tons of different varieties and um, it was all a, a matter of how much effort did I had to put in to get to the same result. So I didn't know that there was a native Florida red. Yep. And so I think we should kind of look at too. You say this is a this is a superior tropical. This is on the top of the list. Um, but where so where are we gonna find these? Is just, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it might sound like, oh, it's a little rudimentary of a question, no, but no, where are sea hibiscus from? So our listeners who are not familiar with them could kind of see where they would have them or have to go get them, or if they can even keep them in their own zone. So they're typically, uh, they typically grow zone eight through 10, you know, down to equatorial regions, but mm -hmm. in our area in the Northern hemisphere, zone eight to 10, usually, um, they don't like freezes, so they can't handle a hard freeze. And where you'll typically find them if you are in a tropical locale is down by the coast. So they're a coastal tree. Um, they tend to, kind of intermingle with mangroves, sea grapes, things like that. And um, when we first collected one, the first time I was ever even introduced to the species, uh, we collected one and we thought it was a sea grape. And it mm. was literally somebody after it grew leaves, somebody came and they're like, that's not a sea grape, that's a sea hibiscus. And we had no idea what it was. And that basically started the whole journey. So how long ago was this? About 15 years ago. So that's when, would that be your actual introduction to the species then? that was the actual introduction but what's mm -hmm. weird is i had already read minlow's book and we didn't make the correlation that they were the same tree 
You know, Hmm. this, it looked nothing like the trees in the book. And so it had these giant leaves, the trees in the book had super tiny leaves. And so it was uh, a lesson right there in that you can't judge bonsai material necessarily just by looking at the coarse internodes that are growing while it's in the ground or under optimal conditions. You know, a lot of these materials through proper bonsai techniques can be dwarfed and can be reduced and can be fantastic bonsai material. So, um, you know, Premna, when you see Premna growing wild, they look like a weed. I would never collect a Premna for bonsai if I saw them growing the way they grow just wild. I would just bypass that. And so, uh, you know what Premna reminds me of? What? Like if it were just to be grown freely, it reminds me of privet. Yeah. It, it just looks like, like, a, like a dirty privet. It looks like junk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a big leaf yeah. privet. It even has the same flower cluster clusters that a privet has. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, so I, I think that that's, uh, I think that anybody who can find one of these in the coastal locations, you know, you could take some, some cuttings, take a small tree and you're basically on your way because uh, the one in the discord looks like a Florida red. Hmm. And the the variegated, I'm pretty sure, pull from very similar genes to that Florida red, and so it's a uh, it's good good material. You know, really, I've only worked with with a few that I would say I kind of junked them. You know, they were these these varieties that we found uh, that upon further research is like a divergent family of sea hibiscus that we don't mm. use, we don't pursue. Interesting. And so, yeah, so, so it's a sea hibiscus. Okay, so for uh, for just the sake of kind of breaking down the species, so the, Ooh, the nomenclature. All right. So they uh, the problem is it's not a hibiscus, or it's not classified as a hibiscus, Ooh, but um, it is a part of the mallow family, and so it which are also related to hibiscus. It's all very mallow. similar plants. Okay. So these are all super similar plants, and um, recently they have moved. Sea hibiscus from hibiscus talasius to taliparidi talasius. So now mm. it's, it's in its own, um, I don't know if you'd say that it's a genus. Yeah, genus. So it's in its own genus, um, taliparidi, and there are other taliparides, you know, other than talasius. And so some of these taliparides are not as good as like talasius. And so keep in mind, like, a ton of different traits can be exhibited in just one species. So like when we were talking with Sergio about Japanese maples, that's the same species, whether you're working with the the coral bark type or whether you're working with um, Arakawa or whether you're working with the, the green standard green as different as they look and as different as they grow, they're the same species. They're just different cultivars. Mm. So Talassius is the best but there are even su- more superior cultivars of Talassius. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for reference, uh, Mike m- dropping a reference to our earlier episode with Sergio. If you want to see how far the rabbit hole goes when it comes to Japanese maples, when it comes to cultivars, that's kind of going into the, r- the realm, the realm that we're entering with sea hibiscus. Now you'll refer back to that episode that we, uh, that we had with Sergio. And that was episode. I always like to go back for reference. 29. That was a good episode. Yeah, it was a good episode. So yeah, for, for, uh, for our Tillies, that's what I kind of call them as a. Tillies. Uh, as a, uh, that's a pet name for the, 
the sea hibiscus, you know, kind of like yeah. how you call the bogey, the bougainvillea, the bogey. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so break them down into so most valuable in your mind to less like harder to work with, I guess, variety of of this speed. And what was the sure. nomenclature again? Um, I would say that they're cultivars. Cultivars of yeah. of Talassius. Talassius. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. So I would say red stem is number one. Um, and then there's a second variety that I, I haven't really put into production yet uh, that I'm growing out that flowers constantly. That's all it does. So it for every leaf it puts off, it flowers 10 flowers. What? So, yeah. And so it's a little mini sea uh, hibiscus too. It's pretty, pretty dwarfed. And it's oh it's a God. green variety. What's and the name so, so I can Google it real quick? I have no idea. <laughs> it's one I found as a uh, as a cutting while doing uh, private sessions, and so that's one that's into production, awesome. and that's probably my second favorite. Okay. And then I would say there's a variety that Seth had found that is like in between uh, the red stem and like the green, the standard like Brussels green, and. Mm -hmm really good genes. I mean, really, really good grower. I'd say it's very similar to red stem and it gets a frosted like underside to the leaf that I really like, like a silver underside. Okay. Um, really like that one. Then there's the most common, which is the import Taiwan import green from uh, Brussels that you'll see a lot. And yep. that's a, a honestly, I've made some killer trees out of that material. And I'd say that's the most durable. That's probably the one that's most of a tank where you can just do whatever you want with it. Um, so in a way, that's probably my tried and true. I'll never give up on that one. Mm -hmm. And then honestly, the one that's been most difficult to work with has been the, um, there's a variety of the Florida red that gets like a corky bark. Mm -hmm. And I have a really hard time keeping the leaves. The leaves are very thin and the leaves get distorted and misshapen very easily. Uh, and so if you overwater them a, a little too much or things aren't perfect, then the leaves look terrible. Then you also just step back to the green. At that I basically grafted it to red stem. So I said, I'm done with this. I've played enough with <laughs> your leaves and now I'm over it. So that's the other thing is you can mix traits by grafting. You can, you know, cross pollinate and create your own cultivars. And so it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun to get into the the farm mentality of doing bonsai, you know. And the the one that you said it's like a mini and it flowers like mm -hmm. for each. That's that's gonna be that's a question I've gotten from a few people when I introduced them to the sea hibiscus. Is the first thing that you think because whenever you you mention hibiscus to somebody, they think of the big showy, uh, colorful flowers of different varieties. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, they could be, they could be anything. It'd be massive. They could be uh, medium to small. So tell us about that sea hibiscus, like just the normal one. And then let's talk about that multiple blooming one. I've, since I've never heard, yeah. you'll have to send me a picture of it too. So, so, so in all honesty, the only, uh, un until recently, the only sea hibiscus I was able to get to um, consecutively bloom was the Taiwan import green mm. and the standard Brussels one. And it's not like a great bloomer by any means. Like I would have to grow a runner and extend a runner uh, very, very long off the tree to get it to start to bloom out on the ends. And then it blooms like one flower per day. 
And so you get like one flower comes out and it, it comes out bright yellow. And then as the day progresses, it turns red and then falls off at the end of the day. So it's really a good, like, it's really is like a good kind of study for wabi-sabi because you don't get a lot of time to enjoy it. And then the next day you have a new flower. And Hmm. so you kind of get to enjoy it over and over until that cluster of flowers is is done. Well, with this new variety, A, the flowers are a lot smaller. So the flowers are smaller than typical sea hibiscus. And B, um, it will bloom multiples. And C, it... um, it blooms nonstop. So right after it finishes one bloom, it, it might, might go to seed, but then it starts blooming again right after that on tight within the design. So it, it, once these are into production, I I foresee because I saw one that was a, basically a canopy of flowers. So that um, sounds awesome. Yeah, that's the plan. So, and this is one thing that I've, I've kind of experienced. Well, not kind of, I mean, this is the experience I've had with CI hibiscus is that, the normal green, which is a lot of the stuff that I have at my nursery at Underhill, is mm-hmm. that you have to let that you have to let that shoot run out really long. And then not only do you have to run it long, but then it causes coarseness once you run right. it out. And then if you're trying to go for tight, uh, small, like if you're trying to do like a shohin or make maybe a chew hin up to the uh, standard kifu shoe, and we're we're trying to keep within certain size parameters, you can't let that run out. So you'll probably mm-hmm. never get that flower. No, which is, you never which is will. a bummer. Yeah. Cause you're always going to be cutting back again, unless you're blowing it out and you're letting mm-hmm. it grow for girth. And then you're like, Oh, cool. A flower out there. You're always yeah. going to cut it right back. I've never seen a flower on any of my ramified sea hibiscus. Yeah. Cause you're always cutting back. You're not getting to that full extension. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like crepe myrtles, the same thing. Like uh, right. I know there was, there was a request to do a crepe myrtle, uh, full crepe myrtle episode, which will be coming in the future. We'll do one of those as well. But yeah, it's just like a crepe myrtle. Like the crepe myrtle will pop out this long, crazy shoot. And I have gotten a crepe myrtle to bloom closer in after repeated cutting, and but the energy is not there anymore. No. It's just kind of like little tiny sad blooms that but stick there, around for there's a There's also, have you noticed that the purple crepe myrtles bloom closer into the design than like the yes. pinks or the whites? There yeah. is a true dwarf. I think it's called yeah. the, um, oh God. There's Chickasaw. Chickasaw, that's it. Yep. But there's another one above that. There's a semi-dwarf that's my favorite. A semi-dwarf that's purple that um, blooms within the design. And uh, I don't see it too often, but that's really good show hidden material. Excellent. Yeah. Um, So with this smaller, hypothetically, with this sea hibiscus that you're starting production on now, you should be able to get nice, tight ramification and then it will flower no matter what off of a new stem, even if you in cut theory. back. That's the theory. In theory, if I can get it to like grow, you know, all it wants to do is flower. Yeah. And so, and you can't stop it. So you're, no. even when you're blowing out, it's flowering the whole way, right? It's flower. Yeah. I mean, it, it won't blow out as fast as other stuff because of it's always flowering, always yep. going to flower. And so unless I'm going to sit there and cut the flower off constantly, which mm. I don't, I just don't do it because I like them. But um, okay, yeah. So just in a, and it it also has a, a slightly different bark. It's kind of darker gray. The leaf is slightly more laterally compressed. Uh, no serration. Definitely closer to the Taiwan import green genes, and um, 
so yeah all in all it's uh it's gonna be a really cool hibiscus yeah i'm just i'm really curious because i i know that and so this is part of the reason why we're running the show is that so we can talk about bonsai as time goes on and these are things that are literally happening right now like Mike tell me that he's got his hands on a new sea hibiscus that could potentially be really awesome, like for potentially for showing like this. Like, so it's just, this is great news, you know, um, maybe you can get some really gnarly material out of, let's say your typical green. And then you could, you could veneer graft this strong, strong flowering variety onto it. Right. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Like that's really exciting stuff. So it's great stuff. And not, not to mention the genes are there. So now cross pollination opens up and, uh, you know, it's, it's just gonna, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I've had more fun there. Seabus is probably my second favorite species, but it is my number one favorite tree to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Number one. It, it kind of gives you, it kind of gives you the basics when it, it grows. And then all you have to do is like you said, either wire and then go into cut grow mode with it or if you're trying to i mean so yeah let, let's talk about ci hibiscus because a lot of people will probably look them up online and if you say minlo so it's i am i m i n dash l o yeah minlo but it's actually you want to type in min swan so m-i-n-h-s-u-a-n-l-o and yeah. you want to look up Min Swan Low Sea Hibiscus. Yeah. And you'll see and, those uh, trees. Yeah. And just like we were talking about earlier, just a little while ago, it was like you look at the sea hibiscus and you look at it in the pot and it's grown out straight and it's got that silvery looking bark. And you look at a Min Low tree and you're like, damn, dude, that thing is scaly. It's rugged. It's got scars and twists. Mm-hmm. And so, how just, just like talking about sea hibiscus as if We've never heard of how that happens before. How does that happen, Mike? Okay. So what I know is this, is that in Taiwan and in Japan and certain countries, the way that they grow trees, everything goes through a development period. So that's like you and I have talked about this till we're blue in the face. But mm, for the listeners, that means <laughs> that means uh that basically we're growing the tree at its fastest rate. So we're growing it in big pots. We're not pruning it as often. We're basically wiring with big wire and putting bends in things and letting everything get big and chunky. Um, The problem with that is uh, when we're developing our hibiscus is if we don't make a lot of chops, if the tree lives too good of a life, then you're going to have a boring tree. So I always tell people, Think of like if I was sitting across from you at a bar and it was time for me to tell you my life story and I get to it and I say, well, I had a trust fund, everything I ever wanted, I got, never had any difficulties, never had a cavity, never had this or that. You'd tune out in seconds and you'd think, what a boring life. What an absolutely (laughs) boring, what a boring story. Even if it's not a boring life, great life, boring story. And so bonsai is the same thing is if that tree lived too good of a life, it's a straight trunk without a wound on it, and then, you know, it's boring. And so mm-hmm. what you want to see 
is not necessarily open wounds, but you want to see wounds that have been open and then closed, open and closed, open and closed. And this should happen numerous times in the tree's life before you get to refinement. Yeah. So um, once you get to refinement, that closure stops. So your your closure is going to be a lot harder to get those wounds to seal up, especially at the rate that they're doing in development. So when I'm growing mom may trees to illustrate is I can usually create a quarter size wound on a gassed up tree, a tree that's got a lot of energy. I can make a quarter size wound on a sea hibiscus and have that healed in two weeks. Quarter size wound, gone. And so within a year, I can have three or four wounds healed on the tree, completely gone, on the trunk, uh, showing a bunch of gnarl and all that healing and all that those fat rolls that start to form on it. And all of that occurs within a year for a mame. So it's it's literally just making sure that you're growing at the rate that you need to be when you're creating these wounds. One, one of the biggest things I tell people, especially with sea hibiscus, when we're doing grafting is what's your biggest fear of doing grafting when you're learning? What is your biggest fear? It's and they to say, fail well, the graft. Fail the graft. And I say, okay, what's well, the big deal? You fail the graft, who cares? And I say, mm -hmm. well, then I'm left with a wound. And I say, who cares? If you're in development, which is usually when we'll be doing our grafting, all of that's going to wash away. Like literally by the time you make it to refinement, it's gone. It's gone. You don't see any of it. And what you do see adds interest to the tree and keeps it from living too good of a life. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I know about those trees um, that you see in Taiwan is either a they're clipping grown to hell where they're cut and chopped and healed so many times that they create a ton of interest and the proportions they're creating are also very stark. Yep. Um, or they're collected trees, trees that have been growing on capstone that have been there for 50 years and are really, really old. Yeah. So there could truly be some sea hibiscus yamadori. Oh, there are sea hibiscus yamadori for sure. I have yeah. I have a cool sea hibiscus yamadori that's all barky and everything, hmm. uh, but it's just I'll a bad leaf. One. Yeah. Um, and you can go and graft on that one pretty easily. Yeah, they're the easiest tree to graft on, I think. So, and there was a question that I, I attempted to answer um, on last week's episode about, because um, you were talking about cutting back and, and then growing back out and cutting back. And then somebody had mentioned cleaning the middle area and they wanted you yeah. to, I think, I, I think I did my best explaining it, but let's get it from your mouth. So usually like when we're doing clip and grow method, we're doing it under the pretense that we're looking to make bifurcation. So you're looking to divide the branch into a V into two different branches. And so you want the branch to go from one branch to two branches, two to four, mm -hmm. four to eight, and so on and so forth. Well, the problem is, is when you're creating bifurcation, you're usually going to be left with a little stub in the middle between the two branches. And that stub needs to be cleaned out properly between the two branches so that you're not wasting time because if i if i put a year into the v if i'm creating my bifurcation and i put a year into that and i still have an inch of stub in between where those two branches meet then i've healed nothing i have yeah. once i clean that stub i'm still going to have that wound and now the problem is is that the energy i needed to heal the wound i've already grown yep it's already been put onto the tree and it didn't go anywhere so now I'm in a, I'm at a loss of how to heal that wound. Now it's a lot harder. And, um, and so yeah. if I could add a little bit, Mike, yeah. Um, 
So when we're cleaning out that middle area, when that stub's cut off and for some of those out there that are like thinking, oh, well, what does he mean by like, okay, so I wasted the energy there with the stub there. What I had referred to when I answered it too was on the last episode was the stub there, the cambium is creeped up the stub. And so when you cut the stub off, you're reopening up that wound again. Right. And losing the potential in energy. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I was kind of thinking about as you were going. I was like, this might sound a little abstract still, but, you know, it's just that concept of why do we cut back to a stub? To make room right. for the for a little bit of dieback, if, if it's going to happen. CI hibiscus, they don't really die back that much. It just cut everything it back. Dies back. Everything dies back one inner node. To the node that you're going to go to. Yeah. Yep. So you're going to cut the buds that were active there off, and then you're going to lose that section. And with the CI hibiscus, if you do your planning right, uh, especially if you're building for ramification or you're trying to get it to just bud like crazy at one spot, uh, there's usually a good handful of buds waiting right there in a tight section mm-hmm. closer to the truck. So are you going to keep going with the, with the, the clean out the middle area thing? Well, I was just going to say that the important part of clip and grow and the important part of positioning that wound where it's at is that you're now healing the wound from two different sides. Yep. So one of the problems with tropical trees especially sea hibiscus is it's not a maple a maple i can make a i can make a four inch wide wound on a trident and i can grow a pinky sized apex and i can heal that wound and it doesn't make logical sense um same with stewardia same with um crepes crepes are the same they just have this weird tissue that seems to crawl without having to grow the tissue somewhere else. I will mm. tell you, uh, sea hibiscus and most other trees grow at a rate of, if you cut off a quarter-sized tr- uh, trunk and you make a quarter-sized wound, you now will have to grow a quarter-sized uh, amount of tissue somewhere on the tree to heal that wound. And so really, you're you're growing what you just cut off. You have to grow the same thickness branch that you just cut off to heal the wound. And so with sea hibiscus, the only way that you're going to get a a woundless tree is if you are dividing the wound into two each time. So if I go one to two, and now I'm healing the wound 50% on one side and 50% on the other side, well, now I'm splitting that wound. By the time I go and I cut those two branches, I now have two wounds that are half the size of the original wound. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's cut number one. Cut number two, now it's a quarter the size of the original wound. And it goes on. It exponentially goes on until the wound is gone. Yep. And, and so yeah, go ahead. that's important, you know. And this is uh, for those out there that are listening that are not used to like big brained, like ramification, branch building talk like this. We're building taper into the branches, not just the tree. So that's why Mike keeps saying stuff like, now we're we're going into dividing an energy down into two smaller branches that are fifty percent of the of of the bigger the the first branch you came off of, and then that goes into a, into a lower percentage, lower percentage until eventually, if we could, if it was possible, which is some species it is, to go almost infinitely to where it's so twiggy that that you get into your fine. Um, so if it if that's getting a little over uh, uh, some of our listeners' head, um, 
that's that's kind of where we're going with this. And and if we're still developing these cuttings, if we're if you have taken on the cutting challenge to take the cuttings and blowing out your stock, this is not something you need necessarily need to worry about right now. But let's let's uh, let's tell them a little bit about if you're so first you stick the cutting, then you bend it once it has good roots on it with sea hibiscus. What is usually your next move? Well, first, the first thing is, and this is this is very important, is I first wire them, and I wait until the end of the day. So I wait till the end of the day to wire them when they're at their driest. Mm. And so I wire them at their driest. This is the a good next, tip. The next important thing I do is I don't put all my movement in day one. All I do, think of your first day when you put the wire on as you you are relaxing the branch. That's your job. You're going to relax it. You're going to put like a, a really loose, really lame bit of movement into it. And then you're going to come back a week or two later, probably two weeks later. And then you're going to compress those coils a lot. You're going to compress them quite a bit. Um, the third time you come back, you're going to be able to do whatever you want to that tree. You're going to be able to bend it any way you want. And so you should be able to get three or more bends out of it before the wire has to come off before okay. you've set that, that trunk line. And next so, thing I do, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. So then the next thing I do is I'm, I usually do all this work while they're in little four inch pots. And so once they get to the point where I can't keep them standing up on their own and they're falling over all the time, then I pot them up to one gallons and one gallons is usually where they will either, one of two things will happen. Either if I want a bigger tree, I'll go up, I'll continue to up pot them. Or if I want a shohin or a nice uh, uh, shohin. If I want a shohin or mame, a one gallon is the end. I don't go any higher than that. Hmm. Yeah, because you don't have to work those roots back. Because no, I don't want to have to go work. up. Your no, roots can start wanna... to run. Yeah. 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 So... I don't want to have to work back, you know, 10 gallons of roots. So one of the questions that I had for um, for cutting back, because I've, I've had this a little bit in conversation with people, and I, and I just want to brush up on this myself as well. When you double pot a tree, and then you go up, and then the, the tree fills that pot. And then let's mm -hmm. say like it's sitting on the ground, and then it just gets out of control, goes through. How many times, or how much, like how many times do you need to cut back roots, or... How much root can you take off to get back to your ideal amount of all roots? of it? You can take it all off. This is CI business, guys. Don't yeah. don't take this. Well, and Chinese elm and other. But I would species. say I would say most of them. I've done this with a lot of different trees, a lot of different tropicals. And mm -hmm. what I'll, I'll tell you is it's all going to correspond with what you leave on the tree. So like if I take if I have a big bushy ass tree and I take off 90 percent of the roots, well, that tree's going to die and yeah. that's going to be from imbalance. But if I have like a Premna and I go from a one gallon to a thimble size pot, mm -hmm. that shouldn't be a problem. If I cut it back to like four or five little stubs with no, like two leaves on it and I have like one or two feeder roots because the physiology is still intact. There's feeder roots leading to leaves. Transpiration is occurring the plant is still metabolizing. So for me, it's uh, it's not a question of too much. It's making sure you balance. And I'm not talking about like defoliating the tree because I, I don't, I, I believe in like 
a 70 30 mm. like you can have 70 percent leaves 30 percent roots okay interesting i've never heard you say that before no because it's something new that i was i've spent a few years working on before i was content to uh start teaching it and honestly it's something i read in mike's book mike hagedorn's book is he mentioned something about defoliating he's like defoliating i don't defoliate trees when i repot and i read that and i'm like what what does he mean i've huh. and i and i thought to myself i said you know i've killed trees doing that i know i've killed trees not defoliating trees um hmm. but then i realized i'm not i'm reading the data a little wrong and i think there's just like anything written down is there's no room to ask questions and have him elaborate on the point, you know? So what okay. I think, uh, what I've discovered is that you can have a lot more foliage and compared to the roots you're taking off. So when I do my typical repots now, when I go and I take a tree like a sea hibiscus that is already in a bonsai pot, already spent a year or two in bonsai soil, I go in there and I'll do the margins. I'll basically comb down the margins, comb out the, the mat of roots off the bottom. I prune all that off. I pot it and I don't touch the the leaves at all. Hmm. And so um, worst case scenario that I've seen, the worst thing I've seen happen so far is leaf drop, a, a little bit of leaf drop, you know, and the tree honestly seems to recover quicker from it because it already has buds on the tree. It already is pulling um, water up through the trunk. It's already transpiring. And so everything seems to be a little more vigorous in its uh, comeback. I can monitor the health of the tree. I don't have to look at a defoliated tree and think, are you going to bud back? I can look at it and say, oh, crap, this thing's losing leaves like crazy. It's not happy. Mm. But I can't tell anything if it's defoliated. Yeah, because you then, you're, then you're really just sitting and staring at the buds until something happens. You are. You're hoping that buds form. Yeah. You're hoping that it works. And so for me, I, I've really turned turned a whole different theory on that. And um, I do believe you have to cut the tree back somewhat. You can't just take a tree and have no roots and leave it fully intact at the top. I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. But I do think within reason... You know, if you balance accordingly, you can have more foli or more foliage than roots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, kind of referring back, you said you got that from Hagedorn's book. I mean, Hagedorn, yeah. like going and learning with him and then reading his book, there's some things that I've seen that have changed the way that I've even dealt with my deciduous trees where I do things now during repotting that makes me feel a lot more comfortable but then makes me kind of think back about things about that I've done with pre trees previously and been like, wow, I really dodged a bullet when I did that to that tree. Yeah. And there's things that we, that are on completely unnecessary now that I realize you can, you can get away with these things. Cause just like you said, you were reading the data, you were misinterpreting it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And now it makes so much more sense now for Of course, this comes from experience guys. You, ha you have to repot trees. You have to experience these things. You have to get certain types of root systems. And right. every time that you pull a tree out of a pot, you're not going to get, you're not going to get textbook results. It's nope. something weird's going to happen. Trust me. Sometimes, every time. Yeah. yeah. You know what, you know, what's funny is everybody has their favorite soils. I meet myself included and everybody hates on turface. Everybody hates it. But what's funny is I've seen great root balls come out of turfus soil. I've seen really terrible root balls come out of turfus soil. Mm. I've seen really, really great root balls come out of Akadama. 
I've seen really, really terrible roots come out of Akadama. So yep. there's um, there's a lot to it. You know, there's a reason why they offer degrees for soil science. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't have them. But no, but no. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, even if you want to get into the hobby, you got to understand that like yeah. soil is a big thing. It's you know, applied water, applied practice, sunlight, water, oxygen. It's like a car. Your basics yeah. is something that I always remembered. You know, my dad teaching me, oh, well, what's wrong with your car? Uh, well, I mean, it's doing this and that basics. What is it? What is it? What does it need? What are the basic components? Air, right. fuel and spark he's like you right. got those things it works and that's how trees that's how it's helped me conceptualize that more and like you said with roots it's like i pull this out it's got great roots I, um i got plenty of sunlight i've been fertilizing i got good water right but all my other conditions are controlled by my zone by the the soil that i'm using by the species that i'm using so yeah all those factors really really will change things so you, it just has to be all off experience with these, yeah, these things. You just got to take it slow and enjoy the journey and fear yeah. the finish line. That's what, what I always <laughs> I tell my students. I do. I tell them fear the finish line because nothing good comes at the end. There is a, there is no end, but like in thinking that in bonsai, yeah. there is no end and thinking that you're going to get to this like magical, perfect tree. Uh, it's never going to happen it's it's always going to be the bar will always move so the second you get to where you wanted to be yesterday you'll want something else you'll want more mm -hmm. and so the bar continues to move and so the best thing i've learned is you just have to enjoy the the journey as much as you can and you will do better bonsai because of it as corny as it sounds so if you put off like if you just say to yourself i don't care when this is done you truly mean that you will do better bonsai. Hmm. That kind of got me for a second. I don't care when it's going to get done. I don't care when it's going to get done. I don't care if this tree, if I have to do put 20 years into it to make a perfect tree, it doesn't hmm. matter because it's about the doing. It's about the doing. And that's what it, why I stress like doing high level work and doing good work is because in the end, that's all you're going to have out of this. Somebody could come and steal all your trees, a natural disaster could come. Yeah. You could be lost with all your trees. Tons of things can happen and your trees can be taken from you. And all you're guaranteed is that you have the present with them. That's all you have with them. And so the only thing that you take from the hobby indefinitely is the act of doing. If somebody mm. took all my trees, you know what? I'd be hurt and I'd probably take a week off where I'd, I'd sit and I'd sulk. But eventually yeah. I'd go to Lowe's, I'd buy some cheap material and I'd start again because I know that my love is in the doing. Mm -hmm. And I think of a great way to just describe that is, uh, is impermanence. Impermanence. And yeah. understanding impermanence. And like you said, things happen. You lose your trees. I mean, with the techniques that we're discussing in this, especially in this episode, if you apply them and you learn them and know that like what Mike said earlier in the episode is something I really like to think in my head is if you're trying something different and you're, and you're progressing your techniques, then you're making trees better than, than you did before. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to, and like you said, uh, not to be cheesy or anything, but I feel like uh, inspirational, uh, like I'm giving like uh, inspiring speeches for all the bonsai masses. People's like, keep doing, keep trying, keep doing different yeah. methods, keep improving, and you will always make a better tree. And who you were before, you know, it's like it is, it is that, it is that 
simple though it is that simple. what we're, is we're trying to contrived. say yeah. it really is i mean yeah. and it's, it's one of those things like uh, people people often say you know well that's that's very zen where, where you always into zen things and what's funny is i got into bonsai and i didn't really even think about the zen implications of it the the times when i finally started realizing that it was heavily tied to zen and that that was an important aspect was when I really did have to think about all my trees disappearing. I had to play this mental ex exercise and say, mm -hmm. well, I don't have great security. I I have nothing I can do about it. And so I have a choice. I can either get out of the hobby or I can continue to per pursue it with the idea that this could end any day. Yep. And so with that, that idea it's really a it's it's provided me with an intense love of the trees where i'm like hey today could be the last day and you know i really really enjoy them and i'm not afraid of it as much as i was you know now i'm like i realize that there's tons of things that can happen in bonsai i can't control all of them and all i can do is continue to work and do bonsai that's it yeah yeah that makes me feel all mushy and warm inside yeah me too <laughs> uh but yeah and another thing too is and this is the experience of like uh the bonsai professional is that not only do you get to work with your trees but you get to have influence on others trees and other collections and other trees that you're familiar with that might not even be trees that you have a chance to work with you might just see them on a regular basis and have i mean you might have some influence being honestly being a bonsai professional you're asked to do you know pruning wiring trimming repotting whatever every once in a while and stuff but that's another thing is like in the ethos of bonsai too you don't you don't if you lost your collection today if i lost my collection today if a listener lost their collection bonsai is still there so right. i mean you could still go work on other tree people's trees and come back to it and um and like you were saying growing out cuttings and trading people for stuff you know, yes, exactly. one of your one of your friends might have a cool tree that they're like, I don't know what to do with this, but I'll trade you five of those really sick uh, CI hibiscus cuttings you did really good twists on because I can make cool stuff out of that. So, I mean, it's always like, uh, I mean, I think this is one thing I always kind of lean into is just like community, join a club, make some friends that do bonsai. I mean, there's so much more to this. Get a, you know, let's subscribe to a publication like Bonsai Focus or the one of the, the like American Bonsai Journal uh, society journal whatever is in your country or state uh wherever you're at so but yeah it's it's all it's it, like we like we're saying this is all now we're talking more philosophically this is the yeah <laughs> the philosophical again, part of it <laughs> that's the scary thing about bonsai is uh do it long enough and it will start to blur into the philosophical yeah oh you, you won't even know which which uh which side is the beginning which is the end of no, how you feel no. about bonsai i'm telling you it's weird it's a uh, it's I never meant to be this this way. <laughs> <laughs> like I I wake up some mornings and I go, you know what would be great? If I just watered my trees today and none of this mattered. And sometimes right. none of it matters and I just water my trees. And then other yeah. days I'm like, God, this is so hard. You yeah, know? I know. Um, so but yeah, so I think referring back to uh sea hibiscus, is there anything else you feel like you need to say about them? Because we gotta always revisit them. Uh, no. If you guys are part of our, because we're running long, longer on this one, on this yeah. episode, but if you guys have more questions uh, for you guys that are in the Discord, jump in the Discord. Uh, Mike's in there now. Uh, it took him a little while. He wasn't in the correct Discord. We had discarded, we did just started another group, but Mike's in there now. So if you guys have questions about CI Biscus, he can go in there and answer them when he has time. 
Um, yeah. Any and, closing uh, remarks on CI Business? Yeah. Um, we also do offer a uh, a good good um, Zoom class on that as well on Sea Hibiscus, but something that I really think is is a better uh, class that we offer is the Clip and Grow program, which basically goes into the whole algorithm or formula for kind of um, making these trees without wire or, or use wire, but still going through the proportions and healing the wounds and going through some of the concepts that we discussed on today's episode. Yep. And uh, they can find those those uh, online lessons at? Well, they would want to, they just need to reach out, go to kitsunebonze.com, send us an email because we'll need to uh, book it because it's it's not, a, I sit with you and basically I'll be there with you uh, discussing the program, running through the program. If you have a sea hibiscus, we can talk about it. Um, or it doesn't even have to be sea hibiscus. It can be any tree that's going to lend itself to clip and grow theory. So not a juniper. So you guys go over to kitsunebonsai.com, go look at go look at offerings with classes and uh, they can sign up there, I'm sure. It's, like I said, but it's got to be scheduled because, you know. Yeah, and there's... we're, we'll, we're going to hopefully, you know, we're working on that. I've looked into that, doing some like auto- automated stuff. But as of right now, I'm not sure what how the best way to do that is. So, yeah. And as for the show here for little things, um, I've kind of thrown about thrown back and forth about how to do um like a either a live presentation or an offering uh that the listeners can go look at like a promo or a preview or something because we do have uh episode 50 coming up and i do want to do something special for our listeners for that so we'll keep that in mind i wonder is there any way for them to stream uh video on i guess spotify doesn't do that do they we have we'd have to do like a um like a YouTube link. I have I an old YouTube channel that I can try to do something with. So it would kind of redirect to Underhill. I have a YouTube channel too. Yeah. There you go. So, so we okay. could figure something out. Um right. but we could do like a like a like a three-way session where where Carmen works on something, I work on something, you work on something. We'll figure something out, make it fun, make it like a little a little show within a show for our 50th uh episode coming up. So that's one yeah. thing that we can promise. Um, sounds, sounds good, right? Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, so for for a couple of shout outs real quick, think if you've listened this far into the episode, thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said, you can come become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash little things for boneside people. Become a one dollar patron if if that's the best you got. For now, if we don't, you know, we're not judging if that's what you got, cool. Supporting the show is the is the best way to support our show is to help us grow. Um, but if you have five bucks every month, you could become a best bud, go on our discord, hang out, talk to me, Mike and Carmen, talk to the other people in the discord. People are brewing up some cool stuff in our discord. It's a cool place to hang out, talk bonsai with us. And then, um, and then if you can just listen and that's all you got, you don't really don't have the funds for anything else. You're just like, yeah, I just want to listen. I don't feel like doing that. You know, it's just not me. Uh, maybe you just want to click subscribe, click subscribe on Spotify, Google play, you know, Google podcasts or stitcher is one of my favorite apps to use just wherever you listen to podcasts at just go in there and just click subscribe you know it's it's a good thing to do and then uh like button smash that like button turn on notifications get a little bell going no uh and then shout out to mike our editor uh not mike you're not you're mike no matt the editor shout out to matt o uh o'donnell 
uh, for being our editor, for being a generous human being, for being a nice guy, and for making us sound smart, cleaning up our audio, go over to mattodonnell.com. Uh, that's O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L.com with Matt at the beginning of it, of course, Matt O'Donnell. And uh, if you want him to edit your show, he's got a contact form, fill it out, go talk to him. He'll uh, work on a podcast with you as well. It doesn't matter. He's not picky on the content. He'll He'll hang out, talk with you. Uh, he's also a bass player, and he plays a lot of music in Nashville. If you're a musician and you're looking for audio work and you want an audio engineer on music, he's your guy. Go check him out. Nice guy. Uh, go check out underhillboneside.com. I got some stuff on there. I've been lagging. I've been real lazy lately because I've been working on trees. I'm sorry, guys. I got thousands of trees, and it's driving me nuts. But uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they're in the ground. They're in pots. They're in front of the door. They need to be wired, reworked, and I got trees coming in all the time. So, but, you know. It's fun. It's fun being it's fun, man. managing a bonsai nursery like that. Let's uh let's pop on over to the bonsai word of the day, wrap that up, and then we'll uh and then we'll say goodbye. But yeah, I found a uh I found a cool bonsai word of the day. Found this really awesome uh source online for me to find some more nifty words. It's a Japanese word back to the Japanese uh uh words that they use in bonsai. So uh sabamiki is ah, our bonsai. Sabamiki. Yep, bonsai word of the week. Try to use it in a. Uh, I challenge our listeners to go use it in a in a sentence, <laughs> not amongst your bonsai friends. You order it at the bar. Yes, I'll have uh, one uh, sabamiki, please. So sabamiki uh, is the act of creating uru or hollows. Yeah, yeah. So, so uru was uh, an uru was actually one of our bonsai word of the week back when we had Jennifer Price on, um, nice. and uh, yeah, and it's. And I'm seeing on the the uh, the actual translation over here is uh, making parts of the trunk that have been damaged or split by nature after spending several years in a natural growth area. Mm. Um, so it's uh, refined elegance, you know, something that's just kind of the where the source well, that it I got. probably is. It probably is uh, more elaborate than just hollowing just a out hole. the trunk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's nature's work is basically what this word means. Well, and I think what they're saying is like beating up the trunk to make it look like nature's work. So I think oftentimes we refer to things that are sabamiki as shari and vice versa. And I and I I think shari's a distinct phenomenon. I think it in yeah. my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, but my interpretation of it is if it's not that ribbon like cross section and you're not getting that that mizusui or whatnot, then it's uh it doesn't really seem like a shari to me. It seems if it's a very, very big piece of dead wood on the tree, that's not a shari necessarily to me anymore, you know? Yeah. And uh, and so I guess I'm, I'm kind of going into this with a different idea with, with dead wood features on trees is now that we're starting to see a sub, we're starting to see categories and maybe subcategories of uh, shabamiki is holes or hollowing some kind of damage that feels realistic. The uro is the is the actual hole the right. shari is the the dead the dead wood in the trunk and the gin is the dead branch so yeah. it's kind of like this mixture and like you said like we we don't really know um if there's somebody who is better at direct translations or probably knows a little bit better that'd be you know just shoot us an email or go over and leave a comment somewhere uh, on a post or evan at underhillboneside.com just shoot me a line drop me a line so you know if we can even organize this better this is what we're doing this for to learn these words drop them and, a dm 
yeah, drop me, drop into my DMs and let me know what Shabamiki <laughs> oh, really is. That, see, yeah, that's how old I am. I can't even get the expression right. I'm only saying it because I listen to so many other uh, other podcasts and watch so much other like YouTube content. I just pick up on all these newer things that come up, and it makes me laugh. Are, the kids are gonna drop you a DM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Mike's over there like dating himself basically with this. <laughs> I'm just I'm just young enough to to still kind of get with it. But Mike's like, he's kind of just not caring much about it anymore. He's no, like, uh, okay. I, I learned everything <laughs> I can learn. I think Facebook was probably my magnum opus for technology. And yeah. And now we're stuck here. We're stuck. And now we'll never send is, a tweet. This is, no. We'll never make a TikTok. No, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe I've, I'm not very good at it. Yeah, we could try, but damn, there's so many more techniques and so many. Maybe we should just do just a whole study on TikToks one day. We'll just do an episode where me and Mike try our best to become good at TikTok. Maybe we'll wait until we have streaming videos so people can watch us try and uh, navigate that. Yeah, that'd be kind of funny, actually. Um, Maybe not. I don't know. I don't 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 want to make reels all day. That's not me. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, oh, speaking of reels, though. I just wanted to drop this in there really quick. Uh, Carmen has been making reels on her Instagram for Becoming Bonsai. Go over to Becoming Bonsai and check out Carmen's stuff. She's been making reels about like simple techniques of like pinching or pruning or just little bonsai things that like something real quick, like 15 seconds. And you're like, oh, so that's how you do that. You read it in the book and stuff. But she goes, she's trying to come up with a series of reels of simple bonsai te- techniques explained real quick and in simple and just, you know, there it is. And I think I thought it's a really cool little project she started up. So guys, go check that out. That, that's uh, that's definitely, I think there needs to be way more than that. Uh, there are the, the glamorous, like like the guys that, that do the content where they take like the tree and then they're like, here it is. And it's all rough and it looks like a big old piece of doo-doo. You know, it's like a big old shrub. And you're like, what is that? And then like. They spin it around and then the video ends in like a minute and it's like this gorgeous bonsai and you're like, I'm still wow. trying to figure out how the, I'm still trying to work on that. <laughs> still working. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't work out that way, but you know, but yeah, so I think we've said what we need to say about Sea Hibiscus. We're going to leave it there. Like I said, uh, become a bonsai best bud, drop in discord and ask us more questions about those things. If you really, if, yeah. you, if you really want to know more. But yeah, thanks for hanging out, Mike, and talking about CI Biscuits and some yeah, philosophy. Man. It's always Thank fun to drop you. philosophy on our on our listeners and make their brains swell up. Of course. Yeah, they were like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this I, was supposed I, to be I, an easy episode. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing this meme where it was a, a dolphin chasing these swimmers, and these swimmers are running away scared. And uh, the dolphin is, it says, me with talking about philosophy. And then the people running away were my friends and family. And I just always think that's so true. Anytime philosophy comes and, up, and you're just like blimping, like like dolphin sound waves at them. Oh, they're yeah, they're and out. they're like they're like stop. <laughs> but anyway, all right, well, all right. Well, I'm gonna go get some sleep, man. I'm tired. Yeah, you do it, Mike. We'll we'll uh we'll, t- we'll talk to our or talk at the listeners later. But yeah, Mike, you take it easy. Have a good night, man. And we'll see yeah, you on good, the next one. Yeah, good night, everybody, and happy fourth. Happy fourth to you guys when y'all listen to it, but it might be past time. (laughs) See you when you see you. (laughs) 